for us today is from Mark chapter 2 and as I mentioned before there is so much we could talk about and unpack we could talk about the, the centrality of preaching and teaching to the ministry of Jesus the, that priority of forgiving over healing that Jesus sets before us we could talk about the opposition that Jesus faces we could talk about the, the power of the proclamation of forgiveness that that we give here in church but the focus the particular focus we want to take today is what can we learn from these four friends about evangelism? And I want to I challenge you to think about a person or a name or a face as you listen to this account. We're going to do more of this during the sermon itself. Uh, Mark chapter 2. Please stand. These are the words and works of Jesus. Please stand as I read them to you. And then at, at the end, I'll say this is the gospel of the Lord. And then we could say, thank you, Jesus. Thanks be to God. The gospel for Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to briefly do three things with you this morning, and we'll pray after this first thing. The three things are these. You don't have to put these on the screen yet, guys. The first thing is I want to imagine the need. I want to, I want you, I want to invite you to invite. Let's start over. I want to invite you to imagine the need. I want you to to what you can leave it there, guys. I want you to imagine the story. And then three, I'm going to offer up four calls to action, four encouragements, four exhortations um, on the basis of this word from God. Now you can go to the next slide. The first thing I want to do with you, and then we'll pray, I want you to imagine the need. It isn't hard for us. We don't have to look very hard anywhere in the world to see need. Just Google earthquake 
and you'll pull up images and stories of the 25,000 plus who have died because of the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria and, and, and the need that follows the wake of such a quake. I don't think we have to work very hard to see the need in places like Africa where, where sex trafficking, trafficking is the norm just to get their, hopefully get their girls a better life. I don't think we have to work very hard to think about the extreme poverty and hunger that happens in third world countries. There's this urgent physical need that we see across the globe. And coupled with that, there's this collision of urgent physical need with deep spiritual need. In these places where, where people are suffering because of earthquakes and famines and trafficking and abuse and hunger, there's Buddhism and Islam and false gods proclaimed. The God of the Bible, the God we believe, the God whom we'll confess in just a minute, is not front and center in their lives. It's not the God in whom they believe. It's not hard to see the need, the deep, the, the urgent physical need and the deep spiritual need. It's not hard to see it across the pond. But we don't even have to look that far, do we? We can look across the street. We can look right next door. It's becoming more and more common to see. Have you seen the billboards about sex trafficking right here in the States? Girls like mine sold, taken, abducted. And that's the extreme, but it's real. And, and, and the, the hunger and the abuse and the injustice that we see all around us, there's deep physical need. You don't have to look very far. Even if it's not something you can see, it's also in the inside too. You talk to a psychologist and, or a counselor and they'll tell you that the mental need, the mental suffering that more and more people are enduring and undergoing, it's like an illness that you can't see depression, anxiety, it's all through the roof. There's, again, right next door, people that you see probably right here in the pews, there's deep physical need. And the need is spiritual too. Your need, their need. The, the, it's, not, it's no surprise to you for me to tell you that America is no longer majority Christian anymore. Not even in name. So to, for me to say to you, there's a deep spiritual need. People need to know the forgiveness of sins. There's a therapeutic deism out there, but it's not Christianity. It's not Christ for the forgiveness of sins. There's, there's an urgent physical need and a deep spiritual need, but it's people that you know. It's not just people next door or across the street or downtown. It's, it's people that you know. And so as we begin today, what I want to invite you to do, challenge you to do, is right here, right now, think about a person or a name, a face. Call it to mind. That's why I say imagine the need. I want you to call it to your mind. Close your eyes if you need to. Imagine the name or a face of a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody you met in the street, somebody whom you see every day driving to work, whom you say there's a need there, physical and spiritual. And I want you to think about that person, that name, that face, as we consider the rest of the sermon this morning. And then as I pray right now, I want to invite you to say their name in your hearts as we pray and begin as we dive into God's word today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, it isn't hard for us to see in our own lives the physical and spiritual need of people whom, who are dear to us. People maybe that we don't know very well yet, but people for whose souls we care. 
So Lord God, hear us as we pray for these people in our hearts, as we name them silently before you, hear our prayer. And I ask today, Father, that as I open up my lips, that you would send your Holy Spirit on me and on your people, that these words that I speak and these words that your people hear, the meditation of our hearts, that it all would be pleasing in your sight, God. Use me for the benefit of your people and for the growing of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want you to imagine the story with me. Imagine, you guys can go to the next slide and just try to follow the story as I tell it. Jesus has come back home. Remember last week or the week before we talked about how Jesus, he prayed and he had to keep going to the nearby towns and villages. Well, now he has come back home. And when I say come back home, he's come to the house. This, this thing that happens here in Mark chapter 2 is not happening at the synagogue. It's happening in Jesus' home. Maybe it's Peter's mother-in-law's house, in which case she probably got a headache again. It, maybe it's Jesus' own home. And it's not a home like you would imagine. It's probably, it's more like a home with a little bit of an inner courtyard. Jesus has come home and what is he doing He's doing that thing that he always sees is the most important thing to do. He's teaching the people. See, healing, I want you to understand this. Pastor Krieger said this a few weeks ago. Healing was Jesus' side gig. But the gig that was front and center, the thing that he was called to do as his primary work was to preach and teach. And the people were there for it. Did you catch that part in the very beginning of the text where Jesus was at home, he was in the house, and the people were coming to them? Imagine this, if you will. Guys, you can throw the first picture up on the screen. The, the scribes are sitting right in front in benches. Did you catch how they were sitting there? They took their most important seats at the front. And, and then the crowd, everybody else kind of filled in around them, filled in around Jesus. It's, Mark tells us that the house was so full that there was kind of like a bubble at the door and nobody else could come in. Jesus was preaching and teaching. He was opening up the scriptures to the people and they just couldn't get enough of it. They had to hear what he had to say. There, there was in this town, we heard about him a minute ago, there was in this town a, a paralyzed man. We, we don't know if this man was there before Jesus did his miracles. If he was there last time Jesus was in Capernaum, you almost want to ask the question, why didn't Jesus heal him then? But here in this town is a paralyzed man. He can't get up and walk. He, he's dependent on people to get where he needs to go. And everybody's going to hear Jesus. And his four friends, they start going and then they look back at their friend on the mat and they care about him. See, there's, if there's something to learn about evangelism, start learning it here. There's a personal connection. This was not just some random guy on the street who needed their help, though they could have helped him too, like Jesus helped the Good Samaritan. But these four friends, they, they, they had a personal connection and they cared about him. They couldn't just go to the house where Jesus was and leave him to sit, to lay there on his bed, helpless as, and alone. As everybody else made their way to the house, they had to help their friend. They had to carry their friend to the place where Jesus was. Imagine it. These four friends 
carrying the mat the man was on, making their way to the house. Can you just imagine this? They, they tap on somebody's shoulder. Can we get through? Can you let us in? And, and you can almost imagine, can't you, what the crowd did? Because they're all crowded in to see Jesus. It's all about them trying to get to Jesus. They, they tap on a shoulder, can we get through? And they just kind of look. And then they look back. Almost as if they aren't there. And these four friends, these four caring personal friends, they have a question to ask, what are we going to do? And so these four friends, they're stuck outside the door. They, they can't get in. So there's, I try to imagine the conversation and what it was like. One friend says, hey guys, let's, let's go up on the roof. See what we can do up there. <laughs> the roof? Why would we go up on the roof? You guys, that's crazy. This is so, I wouldn't do this to my own house. Why would we do this to somebody else's? But guys, we got to get our friend. We should give him a name, shouldn't we? Right? We, we got to get our friend to see Jesus because Jesus can help him. Jesus can heal him. Jesus can forgive him. We got to do something. But, but it's Jesus' house. And I can imagine these friends going back and forth, debating what they should do about Jesus, standing outside the door until finally they just say, okay, let's do it. Can you imagine how the conversation goes as they carry their friend up to the top and set him down off to the side? And, and then, just try to imagine this, will you? They, they start digging the roof. They're unroofing the roof. If, they, if it were shingles, they're taking off the first layer of shingles. And then they're taking off the underlayment. And then they're taking off the boards. And then they're pulling out the, the, the insulation, right? They're taking off the roof all the way through. And everybody else on the inside, they're starting to feel the, the dirt from the roof falling in on them. They're starting to feel it all come apart above them. And, and the crowd is upset. If it's Peter's mother-in-law's house, she's getting a headache again. And Jesus is looking up as the ceiling opens up. They're angry, perhaps, and frustrated because something's interrupting the sermon. And Jesus is just standing up at them and the friends are looking down, hopefully. And, and then the guy, getting too excited up here. <laughs> then the guy starts, he, he, he's lowered down in front of Jesus. Can you imagine the friends looking down through the roof? You can go to the next slide. He's looking down through the roof to Jesus and their friend with, with hope and faith. Did you see that? Jesus saw their faith. It was plural. We don't know exactly who the there is. Maybe it's the four friends. Maybe it's the guy and his friends. Who, who was it? He saw their faith. He saw the faith. So, so, there's the, the, their faith. so Jesus looks at this man then, and what is the first thing he does? Child, son, right here, right now, I forgive your sins. That wasn't what the guy was looking for, probably. We don't know for sure. We don't know his heart. Probably what He was probably looking for healing and help and legs again. But, but Jesus forgives his sin, and you can just imagine what relief that was. Maybe not what he was looking for, but exactly what he needed. A weight from his chest. And then those scribes, those teachers of the law, sitting there in the front row, they kind of looked at each other with these confused looks, these angry looks. They're looking at each other wondering what's going on here. They're thinking, Mark tells us this is all in their heads. It's not something that they knew. It's not something that they said. It was unspoken, but Jesus knew what was in their hearts because he's God. He's the son of man. He knows what's in our hearts. Just like he knew the faith was there, he knew their, their doubt was there. And Jesus said, guys, let me tell you something. Which is easier? 
Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or is it easier to say get up and walk? But I want you to know, he said. I want you to know. I want you to know, Mark tells us, I want you to know that the Son of Man, technical name for Jesus from Daniel, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he told the man, get up and walk. Can you imagine what that was like for him? Can you imagine what it was like for his friends? A little bit of a Super Bowl dance on top of the roof and the roof started falling in a little bit more. And, and then this crowd, catch this, the, this crowd that, that turned their backs to him, they part like the Red Sea so this guy can go out. And his buddies, they, I can just imagine them running down from the roof with chest bumps and high fives. That probably wasn't exactly what they did, but that's what we might do. And the crowd who parts like the Red Sea we have never seen anything like this before. They're, 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 there's joy because of what God did, because of what Jesus did for this man. Is this not just a captivating story all by itself? But the question I want to ask with you as we carry on, it's not really a question. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to ask questions anymore. I'm going to tell you. What do we do with it? I want to lay out for you four calls to action on the basis of this account. And the first one is this. Make the proclamation of Jesus' word primary. Make the proclamation of Jesus' word primary. As a church, this is what we're called to do and to be. The thing that we are called to do and to be above anything and everything else is to preach the word. It's, it's what we exist to do. We are here to connect God's people and God's, connect people to God's word and God's people. So the word for us is the very thing that we are called to do. So there's a question that I want to ask you in your own lives. It's an evangelism question that we sometimes ask around here. And the question is this. What conversations are you having with non-believers in your life? And, and, and then follow that question up with, how are you transitioning that, that conversation about the weather and sports and the Super Bowl and life to God's Word? I'm not saying you need to shoehorn Jesus into every conversation. But what if we could? What if we could bring a word from God primary and make that primary in every relationship that we had, that we were always sink, seeking to get beyond the physical to the spiritual. It's encouragement number one. Make the proclamation of Jesus' word primary in your life. And we will do the same as a church. That's our, our call as a church. So that's number one. Number one is make the proclamation primary. Number two Make the power of Jesus' love evident. See, remember we began this whole day today, think, or this whole sermon today, thinking about urgent physical need and, de and real deep spiritual need. As God's people, we will not just care about their souls, we will care about their bodies too. Jesus did not just leave this man and say, I forgive you, good luck with your legs. 
He didn't say, good luck with your legs, wait till heaven, it'll be better there. He could have done that, that would have been okay. But what did Jesus do? He met, he met spiritual need, he met the man's spiritual need by chopping off sin at the root so that man, the man's legs, so that then he healed the man's legs so the man could walk. So there's an evangelism question we can ask here again. What good can we do around here? How can you serve the people in your lives and, and meet them in their needs and, and care for their bodies and their minds? Maybe that does mean just having a cup of coffee to hear about their hurts and their pains and then thinking about how can I bring Jesus to that hurt and pain. Maybe it does mean bringing them food from the food pantry. Maybe that does mean getting them connected to our school so they can get a really great Christian education. See, our, one of the things that our school does, it's preaching and teaching is primary, but we're not just concerned about the soul, we're concerned about the body too. How can we give these 200-some scholars tools and skills for life in the world? Right? Make the power of Jesus' love evident in the life that you live with other people. How can you show love to care for people in their lives and in their bodies? Number three, persevere in evangelism. And I want to talk about some specific kinds of evangelism, three characteristics. Here I want to draw specifically on these three guys. Persevere in evangelism that is, first of all, personal. I'm not talking about church corporate evangelism. In, in fact, when I say personal, I mean two things. One, it's for the person in front of you. One of the downsides of preaching a sermon is I, have to, I, I preach to 120 people at once or so. But, but it's kind of fun to sit down with one and preach to one at a time. Because then I can bring a word. We can bring a word to that person. So, so personal means bring, meeting people where they're at in their lives and with the word of God to bring them along on a journey in God's word to eternity. But when I also say personal, I mean in your lives as you go about your lives. It's your, you're an evangelist wherever you go. Just imagine with me what would happen if just do some, do, some, do some simple math with me. If I preach to 120, this is my pulpit, what if this 120 had their pulpit at the kitchen table, at the coffee shop, at the bar, in the restaurant? What if we're ever in the grocery store? What if, what if we multiplied pulpits now and said, this is one pulpit, but now you each have a pulpit for the Word of God in your personal lives. Just imagine if just once a day you, you, you dropped a Jesus bomb, and a better word for that, you shared Jesus with somebody and told them about his love and forgiveness in one conversation a day. If 120, if, well, I, got, I can't do that crazy math. Sorry, I don't know, Miss Barch, I'm sorry, I'm not very good at math. We'll do 100 a day. If a hundred of us were sharing Jesus once a day, by next Sunday, maybe 1,700 people have heard about Jesus. The reach of, my, of our pulpit here is the back door. But the reach of your pulpit in your, day, in your personal lives goes far beyond where we can reach here on, this, on a Sunday morning. So persevere in evangelism. That's first of all personal. Second of all, that's faithful. And I didn't misspell it. 
When I talk about faithfulness here, I'm talking about, a, a pe- pe- about being a people of God who are full of faith. When these men brought their friend, tore the roof apart, and let him down through the roof, Jesus saw their faith. So I'm asking you the question here as you think about evangelism that's faithful, that's full of faith. What are you believing about God? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about Jesus that would lead you to persevere in evangelism? See, as we think about evangelism, one of the things that we often do is we talk about how hard the ground is. People won't hear it. People don't want to hear it. They're hardened to the gospel. We talk so much about how hard the ground is, how people don't want to listen to us. But what if, Instead of talking about how hard the ground is, we talked about how powerful the gospel is. What if instead of talking about how hardened people were to the message of God, we talked about how great our God is? We, we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God to save souls. And, and the weapons of our warfare, Paul says this to the Corinthians, the weapons of our warfare have power to demolish strongholds. Do you believe that is my question. Right? Persevere in evangelism that is full of faith and third, that is creative. Listen, these guys, they had this problem solved. They didn't just say, oh, it's full. They can't get in to see Jesus. What are we going to do? They figured it out. They tore roofs apart to get their friend to Jesus. I'm challenging you to get creative. My personal mission statement, my personal motto is, I will do whatever it takes to meet one person at a time and walk with them to heaven. And I'll tell you what that means for me. It means that I will meet you at a bar or a coffee shop at a restaurant I will meet you in my home. I will meet you in your home. I will meet you in my office. I will walk with you down the street. I will do whatever it takes. If my kids need me to shave my head so that they'll come hear Jesus, I'll do it. You guys maybe know this about me, that I will bend over backwards. I will preach in German if that's what it takes. I will learn, I know some German, I will learn it better if that's what it takes. If that means we got to do rap, if that means I need to learn how to rap to get people to Jesus, or if that means I need to learn how to sing four-part chorales better, I'll do that too. What I'm challenging you to think about is, what will you do? Let's be creative. Think about that person that you know. What would you do so that you could get them to hear Jesus? so that you could bring them to Jesus, so that they would hear Jesus. Persevere in evangelism that is personal, full of faith, and that's creative. And finally, number four, stay in awe of your God. I'm going to come down here because I want to be more personal. Stay in awe of your God. There are two reasons I say that the, this, this first one is secondary, but I'll say it first because I want to save the primary one for later. If you are not in awe of God, how can you expect anyone to come follow your God? I'll say it a silly way. A, pastor's, another, a pastor in Texas said it this way. How can a religion that appears to have given you a headache be worth believing? <laughs> I'm sorry. 
right? So if, you th- if people look at you in the way that you're following Jesus and, they're, and you're grumpy and you're frowning and you're upset, and you're like, I don't want to follow your God, right? I'm overstating the case, but you get the point. And there's a second point to this, but the, the more important thing is you and your relationship with your God. What if we were able to reach everybody in this neighborhood, but we lost you? What if we made all kinds of changes here that would serve other people, but you fell out of the boat? Paul said it this way, I will do all things to all, for all people so that by all possible means I might save some. But you know what he said next? I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. For your sake, dear people of God, stay in awe of God and what he has done for you. At another time, Jesus sent out the disciples two by two, and they came back and they were pumped. Jesus, demons submitted, submitted to us in your name. It was great, Jesus. And Jesus said, that's great, guys. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven too. It was awesome. But rejoice that your name, your name is written in heaven. Dear people of God, today, You've been let down through the roof, right in front of Jesus. And by the mouth of his servant, Jesus forgave your sins. You're you're righteous and holy before him. In just a moment, you're going to kneel or stand before his throne again. And Jesus himself, through his servants, will say to you, take and eat, take and drink. This is for you. This forgives your sins. Stay in awe of what your Savior Jesus has done for you. And then bubbling up because of what he's done for you, go out and tell the story. Amen? Amen. Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. Amen.